If you have your Bible, would you open up with me to Luke chapter 15? We're going to be in Luke's gospel, uh, the 15th chapter, and we're going to go into God's word today. And the series of messages that we will be, have been discussing during the month of June is it's entitled The Father's Heart. And our desire is that we would have lives that are ultimately shaped by the Father's heart. And uh, for me, becoming a father over this last year, I've realized a lot of lessons. Um, I knew that I would not even understand what it meant to uh, love in the way that I've learned to love since becoming a father. I knew that it would change everything. And those that are first-time fathers recently, you know what that feels like. You know what that can be like. And uh, we have just had our, our joy and our privilege to see our young Lily Rose grow up. And she's growing up very, very fast, as many of you have seen. Some of you have married off your children already. Some of you have seen them go into careers. Others of you have seen your children grow and begin to reach the potential that God has for them. So we're going to bow our hearts today and we're going to pray that God would um, move in our midst, that he would speak to us. And also, we're living in such a time right now, uh, hearing in the news of this shooting that had taken place in Charleston, South Carolina, we're also going to pray for the Father's love to extend today and meet uh, broken hearts and minister to people that are grieving during this hour, that God would work in the way that he always does, that whenever the enemy means something for death, he means it for life and for the saving of many lives. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray today that the Father's heart would go out, that Lord God, you would move and minister, Lord God, that your grace would fall and rest upon those that are even grieving at this hour. Lord, they desperately need a touch from your heart today. Lord, I pray for the families of Cynthia Hurd, of Susie Jackson, of Ethel Lance, Lord God, of DePayne Middleton, of Clementa Pickney, Lord God, this pastor that loved you. We pray for the families of Twanza Sanders, of Daniel Simmons, of Sharonda Singleton, and of Myra Thompson. Lord, you alone know what it feels like to lose your child, Lord God, as you saw Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Lord God, we know that it break, broke your heart, Lord God, to see him in such a place of suffering and death, Lord God. And so today, Lord, acquainted with grief, Lord God, I pray that you come to those that are grieving at this hour, Lord God. Each one of them knows you. Each one of them loves you. And we pray today they would feel the presence of the Holy Spirit upon them. Lord, we pray for this church body. We pray for the body of Christ at large. Lord God, that your love would win every heart, Lord God, that nothing would divide them. Lord, we pray today that your grace would be made perfect in abundant measures in and through them. Lord, we stand as one body. When one part hurts, we all hurt, Lord God. We grieve with those that grieve on this day. We pray that your forgiveness will flow. We pray that your love will flow. We pray out of this we will see a multitude of people come to know you as Lord and Savior and many lives made whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're in this series uh, entitled The Father's Heart. And last week we started the first part of a two-part um, passage of Scripture that we would be talking about. It was a story that has come to be known as the story of the prodigal son. Last week we took uh, the first part of that story and we talked about it and we really saw how God has hope for every prodigal son today and that the only hope for a prodigal son is a prodigal father. Why? Prodigal doesn't mean wayward. Prodigal doesn't mean bad or sinful. Prodigal means recklessly extravagant. It means someone who is willing to spend everything they are to lavish 
uh, all that they have and to live in that lavish kind of way. And so while that definitely described the son and his actions as he went and he was recklessly extravagant to the point of going and living in sin and giving away everything he was and compromising his very identity. But that isn't the only prodigal in the story because there's someone else who had just as much reckless abandon, reckless extravagance, but not for sin, but out of love. And it was the father in that father's heart who whenever he saw his son turn his back on him, run away and defile himself in every way, the father's heart was so loving, was so extravagant, was so prodigal that there was nothing the son can do to separate himself from the father's heart. And as soon as the son was willing to turn his heart back towards his father's house. He was received with open arms. How many of you are glad today that we have a father in heaven who welcomes us back with open, loving arms? That we on this Father's Day have a father who is not defined by any earthly stereotype, but one whose love is so deep, so rich, so full that we cannot even fathom it. And last week we learned To every prodigal, there is hope. And the hope comes by a prodigal father whose love is ready to be lavished upon you. Have you turned to receive that love yet? We said very clearly that you don't have to earn your way back into the father's house. God loves you today and he wants to meet you just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up and try to make yourself perfect before he will receive you. But you do have to turn away from the pig pen. You have to be willing to leave behind and turn away from the things that have taken your attention off of him and are ruining your life. And so today I'm thankful that there's hope for every prodigal son. But the story doesn't end there. There's another half of the story. And just as we began the story last week, and we, we read it in verse 11, that a man had two sons. And there's one son... There's a brother in this story that normally is not spoken about. All of the spotlight is on the younger son. The younger son that went, cashed in on a third of his family's estate. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine this family that had an estate, farms, hired hands, an amazing amount of wealth that in a moment's notice upon this younger son's request, they cashed out 40% of what they had, nearly 40% of it, gone. The father sold it off, land that he may have had for generations, people being laid off, uh, livestock being liquidated, sells it off, liquidates it, gives it to his younger son, and immediately the younger son turns his back on his father, goes away, and says, I want nothing to do with you. I'm just going to live for myself. And he spends himself down to the bottom of a pit. And it's when he's there, filthy, living among pigs. Such a detestable and defiled place for someone like him to be. Came to his senses. Returned home. Met the father's love and embrace. He was overwhelmed. Many of us could never imagine having a relationship with anyone on this earth like that that would be willing to overlook so many of our sins, so many of our wrongdoings, so many of the things that we have done that have shamed us. Some of you know this, and you'd say, if, if, if anyone ever really knew who I was, no one could love me. I want you to know something. 
that the story we've been talking about, this portion of scripture, it unpackages the beauty of the gospel. And the gospel is this. There is someone who can love you no matter what. And his name is Jesus. And he died for your sins. And he meets you just as you are. And he wants to receive you to himself. And that's the gospel and that's the beauty of it. We don't get what we deserve. We get what God himself deserved, his very best. And so as we go into the second part of this story, we see that there is another son. Because the first son, it's evident he has broken the heart of the father. He has caused pain to his family and to his father. The father's heart is grieved for every prodigal child. But we learn that there's another one in the house who is hurting the father's heart. And today as I reflected on this passage of scripture, I'm reminded of uh, growing up and, and learning how it is over this last year to become a father. And as I have enjoyed different memories with Lily, one of the favorite things that I love to do is I put her up on my shoulders and we take a ride around the house and we run around and we have some mirrors that we look in and she smiles and she laughs and she could be having a bad day, but once we do that, that's just our, our fun time that we have together. Well, early on in this, as we're going and she's walking around, she was kind of nervous because she was up so high and um, I didn't think it through completely because she learned how to do something. Uh, something that many cowboys learn long down the road is that whenever you want some, something to stop, you just grab a hold of the hair and you pull back on it. <laughs> and so as she was getting nervous, she would just start pulling the hair. And there I am. I, ah, you know, I'm thinking my hair is going to come out as she's pulling on it. She doesn't realize what she's doing. Um, but it's fun, and I don't even want to make a noise because I, you know, I don't want to startle her. Well, time has gone on, and we've continued this now, and she's kind of gotten away from pulling the hair, but it got worse, if you could believe that. Um, like a week and a half, almost two weeks ago, I have her on my shoulders walking around, and she's becoming more curious, and this time she took her nice sharp finger and stuck it all the way into my ear as far as she could go, and, I, and I'm like, oh, man, that really hurt. So I go, Mandy's looking at the side of my head while we're eating dinner. She said, do you know the inside of your ear is like has a little cut on it? I said, yeah, that's our daughter. Uh, we went for a ride and it got ugly. So, um, so that happened. So that hurt. And then she grabbed my eyeball and squeezed it. And that hurt. So I'm like, man, Lily, you don't realize how much pain you're causing daddy right now. Um, and I know she doesn't realize it at all. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, that I've learned is that it's very possible for a child to cause his father pain without, without even knowing it. And there's a son, there's a child that the father loves so much. He's in our story today, and he's in our church as well. And that son is one whom the father loves so much, yet by his actions and by what's going on in his heart, he's causing the father a lot of pain. And the father wants to speak to that child today. And so it may be you, and you may realize at some point in time, I'm that one, and I just pray that God's word would find its place and would speak to each of us right where we are at this moment. Let's read together in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, starting in verse 25. It says, Now his older brother, the older son, was in the field. And when he came and he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Let's pause right there. He heard music and dancing. Why? Because there's a celebration. Why is there a celebration? Because the wayward prodigal son who had wasted away his life, when he picked up his courage and he came back and he tried to plead with his father to become a hired hand, to become someone that could maybe start to repay all the debt that he had caused his family, all that he had squandered away, 
He thought his only hope, that first prodigal son, was to earn his way back into the house. Whenever he came, his father saw him. He came and he wrapped him in his finest robe. That showed that he was being fully restored. He put sandals on his feet. He put the ring on his finger, which was a sign of their family and their identity as a people. And he welcomed him with open arms. And he then gave the call, kill the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. My son has been found. And it says the celebration began. For them to have killed a fattened calf, for them to have taken part in this kind of celebration, much bigger than just a small family gathering like the one you may have this afternoon as you're celebrating Father's Day. It's a lavish feast. And so he comes back, and this older son, who has no idea what has happened, last he knew, his younger brother is dead to him and to the family. He's coming back, and he's hearing this amazing celebration. And he's wondering, what has happened? Let's go to verse 26. It says, and so he summoned one of the servants, and he began inquiring about what things could be. And so the servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Stop right there. So now... The brother becomes fully aware of what's going on. And what's amazing is that you can, you can see the language that's being used here by the servant. He's relaying the father's heart to this brother. He's relaying exactly what he has just witnessed. He says this, your brother has come. Your brother has come home. And your father, he's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. There's celebration today. Because what was lost has been found. Your brother has returned and your father is celebrating. How he responds will make all the difference. There are many that respond to this and they joined in the celebration. There are many that had heard, though. And as they were in town, as they watched this father running down the street, like a young child or like someone else, he's too dignified to be running as he saw him fall on top of him in a very public place and embrace his son and really shame himself in the same time as they saw and they were judging even in their moments. Some of them even came in, they were welcomed in to come and celebrate. Whenever someone would kill the fattened calf, that meant that the entire town was going to be able to eat a meal, not just a few people. So there's a giant celebration so we see how people are responding. We saw how the father responded. But this one here today, and we're going to call him the other brother. Let's see how he responds. It says he became angry, and he was not willing to go in. So he stood back, and he waited. He would not enter into his father's estate, his father's house. He would not enter into the celebration. And so his father came out and began pleading with him. Right here, what we see happening is the father, who is really the one who is throwing the party. He's the guest of honor. He's the, the main attraction, the one who has invited everyone in. For that place and time, for that father to not be present in the party would have been very disrespectful. In fact, it would have been downright shameful for him to have to leave the likes of his guests and those he invited for any reason, emergency, work, anything, for him to have to leave because he has a son who is standing outside and will not come in. For guests to see this unfolding, for the servants to come and say he's not coming in, he won't come in, he won't be a part of this feast, he won't be a part of the celebration. For the father to see that, 
One of the ways he could have responded would be, then fine, let him do whatever he wants to. He can't be a part of this. But that's not the heart of the father we've read about, is it? It's a father's heart that is prodigal, that is extravagantly loving, recklessly abandoned towards winning his child. And so this father, in the same way that it grieved his heart for his son to have run away and squandered everything, when the father catches a, a glimpse of what's going on inside of the heart of his other, his other son, it moves him as well. And he's willing to get up and leave the party, leave his guests, and come out and stand there on the outskirts with his son and begin pleading with him. And as he's pleading and he's trying to come in, you need to be a part of this. Don't you understand the amazing thing that has happened? He's been found, he's pleading with him. Look at how his son, the other brother, responds. Verse 29, he says to him, look. Now you need to realize in this time and culture, you address people that are older than you, you address your parents with incredible terms for endearment and respect. And I have fathers nudging their children right now in the pew. Uh, endearment, respect, eye contact, uh, looking away from your phone, all those things, right? You, you respect it as you spoke to them. And so you would say, Father, or you know, Father, don't you understand? Father, anything. For him to just say, look, and speak back to his father, an incredible, disrespectful way of him speaking. He said, look, for many years I've been serving you, never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never even given me a young goat so that I might be able to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This is what you've done for him. Look, look at me, Dad. I've done everything right. I've done everything you've ever asked me. I've been so faithful. I was working in the fields. And when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, your son, he's not my brother anymore. He's dead to me. When this son of yours comes back from squandering everything, you're going to kill the fattened calf for him? That's how you reward his waywardness, that's how you reward his sin. That's how you, he should be repaying us and you're going to go even further into spending for him. Like it doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. You see, the other brother, by the ways of this world, he's on to something. He's saying, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make any sense. You don't, you don't repay such evil with good. That's not how it works. That's not fair. He said, what would be fair is that I get some credit for all the things I have been doing. I've never done anything wrong. I've never done anything like what he's done. I have never done this, that, and the other thing. Why don't I get the attention that I deserve? There's something going on in the heart of the other brother. We learn a principle today. Last week we learned a very important principle. You don't have to earn your way back into the father's house, but you have to get out of the pig pen. This week we learned something scarier than that, that you don't have to leave the farm to leave the father, that you don't always have to leave the farm to leave the father because this isn't really a story of a lost son. This is a story of two lost sons. One son was lost to sin, but the one that was living in the house, he was lost all the same. This son had lost his way, had lost the father's heart, 
had lost so much. And the father needed him to understand this. He was caught up in himself. He was caught up in all the things that were happening. He was seeing, passing before his eyes, his brother, his younger brother took a third of the estate and went away and just spent it. Could you imagine that? Of everything that you own, one of your relatives coming and just spending it all the way and then coming back. And whenever the father restored him, when the father restored the younger son, do you know what that meant? He became an heir again. Do you know what that meant? Is that whenever that father would die, he would get another third of the estate. Do you know where that entire third was coming from? His brother's money. His brother's inheritance. It wasn't like, oh, you spent that, now you don't get any. No, you're an heir again. Here's the robe. Here's the sandals. You're fully back into the family. Could you imagine how the older brother would have felt? So now I need to give away a third of my inheritance to him. He's an heir again. That's how it works. That's not fair. That's not fair. How could this have happened? It shows that something troubling has happened because his heart and response is so much different than his father's heart and response. It shows that something has seriously gone astray inside of him. You don't have to leave the farm to leave the father. He's wandered far away. This son is truly lost as he stands on the other side. You can see as he's explaining everything that happens, he focuses on his goodness and his brother's wickedness. That's how the other brother is all about operating. It's all about how good he is and how bad everyone else is. And as he's focusing in, he's refusing to share in a meal. To share in a meal was a sign of relationship. To refuse it, you're literally refusing relationship. In the same way that the younger brother turned his back on his father, the older brother, the other brother, he's turning his back all the same. He doesn't address him as father. He doesn't address the prodigal son as his brother. He completely is working now, standing on the outside, disconnecting himself from his family. Henry Nouwen, who's a famous author, wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, and he points this out, and I'm just going to read it right to you from the excerpt. He says this, not only did the younger son, was he the one that left the home, get lost and stray away and became lost. Exterior, in an exterior way, that's what he did. But in an inward way, the other brother wandered away from his father's house as well. It's possible for you to come together and talk about God and even spend time with God and yet still be far from God. That's the double-edged side of being only a heart's turn away from him is that you could feel like you are so close. You're with God. You're doing all the right things. You're going to the right services. You're reading the right things. You're praying the right words. And as you're there, you could feel like you're with God. But here's the deal. Your hearts turn away from him, towards him or away. And so this son, his heart was turned away from his father, Turned away from God. Whenever someone acts in this way, their heart is not for him. It's against him. Sometimes the hardest one to recover when they're lost is not the one who, who, who has spent it all away and realizes his own sin. Do you know the hardest one to save? Is the one who doesn't think he needs saving. The most difficult person to see come to know God is the one that doesn't think he needs God. The one who is so hard to get and catch and receive the Father's love is the one who doesn't think he needs the Father's grace and love. You see, last week we talked about a son 
who is separated from the Father because of his sin. Today we're talking about a son who is separated from the Father because of his self-righteousness. The other brother was separated by self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is this. It's your moral standing, believing that you're good enough in and of your own actions, your own life, that you have your right standing because of who you are and because of what you've done. And this is scary because so many of us, if you look back to the moment when you first heard the message about what Jesus has done for you, the first moment when you came to terms realizing that you're a sinner in need of saving, that your life is broken and that without him you are hopeless, the moment you turned your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior was the most beautiful day of your life. That was the day he saved you. Does anyone remember that? You remember what it felt like, the warmth of your heart responding to the good news. Do you know why it was good news? Because you needed to hear it. Because you needed it so bad. Because you got what you didn't deserve. But over time, something happens, right? Here's what happens. We become religious. What started out as this beautiful life-giving relationship turned into a series of rules and regulations. uh, Almost a game that can be played. And over time, as you're doing it better and better, you know what happens? You start to feel like, man, I'm really good. Look at how far I've come. Look at how great I am. You start looking around at the people around you and you say, I'm so thankful that God's abounding in grace and he didn't have to use as much of it on me because he needs a lot of it for them. They need a lot of it. I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm so thankful that I'm so good that, that, you know, I only need a little bit of saving. They need a lot of saving. And before you know it, you begin to look around. You begin to measure yourself, not based upon God's standard anymore, but your own standard. And you feel like you're head and shoulders above everyone else. And then it continues to creep in. Before long, you're not realizing it, but in your heart you're judging. In your heart, you're holding bitterness against people. In your heart, you're looking for people to measure up to your standards. Whenever people offend you, you're not operating out of the love of the Father. You're operating out of another heart a heart of judgment, a heart of condemnation, a heart that doesn't want to give forgiveness, wants to give conditional love, conditional forgiveness, that I will be right with you if you do X, Y, and Z. You know why? Because you've begun to think differently. You've begun to operate differently. You really start to believe that where you stand before God is based upon your own actions, your own righteousness, your own good works, and then you start holding others accountable to that same standard. Before long, It becomes very hard to forgive. It becomes very hard for you to feel the same presence of God inside of your life. You feel cold to him. And then it happens. Good things start happening to other people. And you've been doing all the right things. And you start saying things like this. God, how could you see the way they live? And look at how they're living. They're being blessed. Look at, what about me? Look at all I've done for you. And you start living as if, here it is, God owes you something. God owes you something. This son, the other brother, is living as if God owes him something for all of his good works. The father owes him something because he has done X, Y, and Z. This is where it starts to stray the heart away from the heart of the father. And you get other brother syndrome. Your heart becomes sick with bitterness, with unforgiveness, with callousness, with apathy. You're not feeling moved by the things that move God's heart anymore. You're cynical about all kinds of things. You're you're looking always 
um, out of a place of judgment, not out of a place of grace, or things that are coming into your mind that you didn't realize were there before. And, and you could feel so often like you were so superior because of who you are, and you've lost sight of God's incredible grace. It flowed into your life, but it's no longer flowing out of your life. And you remind me, whenever we act that way, reminds me of the Dead Sea, which you'll see if you ever travel to Israel. You see fresh, beautiful water coming down Mount Hermon. You see it going into the Sea of Galilee. And you see life. And you see all kinds of flowing. And you see the Jordan River. And it flows. And, and there are, it can support life. And it can support all kinds of things happening. And then it gets all the way down to the Dead Sea. And you know what the problem with the Dead Sea is? It's dead. Do you know what that means? Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Do you know why nothing lives in the Dead Sea? Because it receives everything that's coming into it and it gives none of it out. And because it collects it all there before long, it becomes stagnant. When God's grace flows into your life, when the extravagant prodigal love of God flows into you, it has no place to go out of you. You know what happens? Eventually it just grows stagnant and stale. And so do you. And you start living more like the other brother than like the one who has received God's incredible grace. And it becomes harder and harder for you to model the Father's heart when we're living that way. This story is a love story. It's a story of God, the God of the universe, reaching out to his lost child and doing anything he can to want to win him back. However, at the end of the story, the lost child is not the one that we thought it was because the other lost child is already back in the house. The sinners have already been saved, but Jesus, he came not just to save those who were sick, but also to show the self-righteous that there is a true and living way to God. It's amazing. The lost son at the end of the story is not the one who wasted away the inheritance. It's the one who refused to enter into all that the father had. It's the one that would not respond to the father's love. There's only one son standing in the road at the end of the story. It's the one who thought he had done so much right, and yet he's the one standing on the outside. This story, it amazes me because of exactly who it's directed towards. If you go all the way back to the beginning of this chapter, look there with me at chapter 15, verse 1, and look what it says. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners, they were coming to him, that's Jesus, and they were listening to him. He was attracting crowds of all kinds of people that no one would ever associate with. And both Pharisees and scribes began to grumble. And they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them? They're appalled at what they're seeing. These Pharisees and these scribes, they're religious people. They understand all of God's laws. They have done everything they can to measure up. They've kept every standard and they have held others accountable to it. And yet as they show up on the scene, the very people whose eyes should have been clearly opened to see what God was doing, they could not see beyond their sin, could not see beyond their brokenness, could not see beyond and understand what Jesus was doing. And as that was happening, Jesus responds to them. Look what it says in verse 3. And so Jesus told them these stories. Everything that we hear about in chapter 15, do you know who he's speaking to? He's speaking to the scribes and to the Pharisees. 
He's speaking to the people who are so filled with self-righteousness that can't see the reason to celebrate. And he talks about a lost coin, and he talks about a lost sheep, and he talks about a lost son, and he says, it's time to celebrate. And then at the very end, he hones in on this brother who they are. And he says, the father's calling out to you too. The father's heart is that the other brother would come home and experience and show the love of the father. He called out to them. There's so often when you read through the New Testament and you read through the gospel, it seems like Jesus is so hard on the Pharisees and on the religious people of that time. It seems like he's, he's just always down on them because he wasn't going to bend to their ways and they were continually opposing him and scheming against him. But what you see here is the Father's heart towards them, towards the self-righteous, towards those who believe that they're perfect in and of their own strength and that they can make their way to God. And, and he says, the Father's standing there reaching out to you as well. The danger that we run today, church, is the longer we spend filling the pews and singing the songs if we don't have a living, active relationship with the Father, if we're not regularly experiencing his love, something can grow stagnant in our hearts. And before long, when we started out as a younger brother, we turn into the other brother. We turn into someone full of judgment, full of bitterness, unwilling and unable to forgive. You see, the other brother, he can't fathom forgiveness. He can't fathom the Father's forgiveness of his child. And for some of us, we start to operate with conditional forgiveness that I'll forgive you as long as you do this, as long as you earn it back, as, as long as X, Y, and Z happens. Before long, we're not modeling the Father's heart at all, but instead a heart that's growing cold to him. Paul talks about having reason to boast in oneself, and I'm going to invite Pastor Brian and the worship team to come. He said, if anyone has reason to boast, it's me. I was born at the right time. I was circumcised. I went through every single right practice. I learned everything that there is to learn. I have received every accolade that would make me somebody, and I've come to this one conclusion. Whatever things were gains to me, those things I now counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that meant something is now nothing compared to him. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, right? Not having self-righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, that I don't have a self-righteousness, that my righteousness is found in Jesus and in what he's done for me. That's the only hope for the other brother today is that you allow God's love to come and to break through your self-righteousness, the walls that you've been building and to grab a hold of your heart again today. And out of you, God will make you a vessel of his grace and of his mercy and of his love for some of you today, you've not been the father you know God wants you to be. You've not been the son that God's called you to be, the daughter that God's called you to be, the, the spouse that God's desired for you to be. I'm talking to men and to women today. God's looking at you as his child and he's saying, you're not living out the example that I would want for you. And just as the father said to his son, 
He said, everything that I have is yours, but we have to celebrate. We have to celebrate when the things that bring joy to my heart, they need to bring joy to your heart. The things that break my heart, they need to break your heart. You need to experience my love again and then model that love for others. That's the father's heart today to the other brother. The scary part is you could have gotten and made that turn without even knowing it. And today I just pray that the mirror of God's word and the Holy Spirit have been lifted to your face and you have had a moment to say, Lord, I'm the other brother. Oh Lord, my heart has wandered. It's grown cold and stagnant. But I'm believing right now that God's spirit is moving on hearts and lives. That God's beginning to open up that heart and he's beginning to soften it again. You don't have to leave the farm to leave the father. And if you've wandered today, if you found yourself lost, you could be found in God's presence at this moment. Allow his love, his forgiveness, his grace to wash over your life. Because only then will you be able to live the life that he would have for you to live. You'll be able to do things that you never thought you could ever do. This week it took my breath away as many others as we got news of the Wednesday night killing as a man went into a Bible study, a prayer service with a heart full of hatred and racism, sin, and he opened fire on people who had extended hospitality towards him. And in every motivation of evil came from his heart. There's a picture of evil right there in front of the world to see how God's love has already been moving upon that area, how God has already been holding in all of his promises from his word that he's near to the brokenhearted, he's near to those that are mourning at this hour. But I was moved incredibly yesterday as I came and was looking through some news articles and I came across a story of the judge bringing together all the families of those that had died. And they were present whenever he was setting bail for the young man who had committed such crimes. And as he's sitting there and he's on a closed circuit television and you could see two guards behind him, he's standing there listening and answering the questions for the judge. They finally say, do you, do you have anything that the family would like to say, any of the families of the victims, would you, would you like to say anything at this time, make a statement? And one by one, the families get up and echo these words, I forgive you, I forgive you. And then one of them, looking at him, as he is he's stuck, he can't hear anything else. And whatever's going on in his heart, here's what they say to him. I forgive you, God can forgive you. Turn your life to Jesus Christ. He can forgive you even of what you've done now. That a family member who has experienced such evil, such hate, all these things, can look and say, I forgive, but God can forgive you. And he wants to, and you haven't done too much. Turn your heart to Jesus Christ. Only a heart that has been overcome by the love of the Father can speak of such things. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. Don't allow any of that to stop God's way from reaching you this moment. Let's stand together and let's bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord. And I just feel especially led to pray. And I'm going to invite our altar workers. Would you come, altar workers? And would you extend your hands towards those that are here today and just begin to intercede for them right now? every heart that 
has felt like you've had to earn your way in this life and into approval of God. Holy Spirit, fall upon them. To every heart that has grown cold and stagnant, that no longer lives in the grace of God, but has, has taken on the heart and the spirit of the other brother, Lord Jesus, would you reach out today with your tender love and would you come and overwhelm them today? Lord, would you take their heart in your hand and would it become soft again, tender to the things that you have? Lord, I pray for every hurt, for every wound that's been caused, maybe by an earthly father, maybe by a relationship, maybe by something going wrong. Lord, I pray today that you'd heal broken hearts. I pray that you'd show each person here within the sound of my voice that you're their loving Heavenly Father, that you love them with an unfathomable love, that you reach out to them today, and they don't need to stand on the outside. You welcome them in, and you call them your own, and you desire to lavish your love upon them. Lord God, I pray today that you'd heal every heart that's growing distant from you. Lord, I pray that the good news of your gospel, that is not fair, Lord God, but it's what we receive because of grace. We gave you our worst, our sin, and you gave us your best, your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Thank you for that exchange. We turn our hearts towards you today. We worship you. We pray for your healing virtue to flow through hearts and lives today. Lord, I pray that you'd raise up a generation of fathers who show and are a living example of your heart. Lord God, I pray that you'd raise up young men, Lord God, who will one day become fathers. May nothing get in the way of them living and expressing your love through their lives because they've received it. Lord, we pray that you'd break down every wall, every hindrance, everything that holds us back from living as the children you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God is so good. We're going to worship together, church. If you need more ministry, you can come forward. Our altar workers, they've been praying for you over the weekend, interceding. If this message has touched your heart, come forward and let them agree with you in prayer. If you need to spend time alone with God, calling out to him on this Father's Day, please do that. Everyone else, please save your conversations in the foyer. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next week.